It is incredible. We've got time here on the breakfast show, sneaking in there before Lawson can sneer, steal it away I from me. I just wanted me. to breathe at the same time as you. Yeah. You do the same thing every day. You, you so it goes, da 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 da, and then Lara goes, and then it starts speaking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you are so lame. <laughs> it's just... You need life. <laughs> Who agrees with me that Lawson needs Ouch. a life? Ouch. What is this? He 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 is. Amusing I make a himself. funny joke, and now Lyle's turning on me because he feels embarrassed. <laughs> that's that's classic. That's classic. But it wasn't funny. we have a 400-point clue for the quiz. What kind of stone, according to the Apostle Paul, did God lay in Zion? 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. 400 points, you can win yourself a bargain book. Or you can get those points on the board, continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, that 400-point question, what kind of stone, according to the Apostle Paul, did God lay in Zion? 0491-064-669. Fantastic stuff. All right. Before we get into our Bible study, we have a number of text messages to look about, but we've all, to look at, but we've also had a number of people who have contacted us about the interview and want to get in touch with Chuck Haggerly. Mm. And so we did run out of time on the interview to be able to give all of the details there. So here's where you need to go to get in Chuck, in, in contact with Chuck Haggerly. Uh, particularly about screen addiction and pornography and so forth. You need to go to Life Ready Kids. TV.com. Mm-hmm. All right, so that website again, lifereadykidstv.com. Mm-hmm. And you can learn all about, you can engage with Chuck there, you can be in contact with Chuck, you can uh, access all of his resources. He has a whole slew of resources that are, you, that are available for you to use so that you can raise life-ready kids. So that's lifereadykidstv.com. Uh, .com, lifereadykidstv.com. That's where you need to go uh, to be in contact with Chuck Hagley. Okay, so let's go to other text messages and let's see what else you've had to say in the breakfast show so far this morning. And we've got some to go right by the way back to Plant Mesh, which Lawson talked about mm-hmm. at the beginning of the show. Great idea, but won't be a problem in heaven. Amen. Uh, plain rice and soy sauce, soon we will be lucky to have just that. Tasty enough. So you've got, oh, you've got, dude, it's my you've got, favorite. You've got one, you've got one fan so, right there. So plain rice, soy sauce, and then you've got to add some Korean chili paste. It's called gochujang, gochujang, and it's, oh, oh my goodness. It is, that is like the breakfast, the champions right there. And then if you throw in like some avocado and some sesame seeds, then, then that's like gourmet. That's gourmet. Tomato sauce? Last off. That's my dad. My dad. So my dad will cook like a campfire oven soup, right? A campfire oven vegetable soup. This is like his number one dish. And he's like, this is his gourmet. And he'll be like, hold on. Like he'll he'll scoop a bunch of it, you know, out of the out of the pot, into the bowl. He's like, oh hold on, Lawson, give me one sec. Pulls out the bottle of tomato sauce and sprays it in the top. Yes. And then mixes it through in a soup. There's nothing you can't eat tomato sauce with. It kind of goes with everything. Like, no, that's like not true. This is how I used to cook when I was a bachelor. You cook potatoes, you add tomato sauce, you have a meal. Like, like, okay, yeah. Well, I ate, like, homemade pies yesterday, and I put tomato sauce on those things, and it was fantastic. Yeah. Like, i got to be you, honest. You do have to put tomato sauce on a pie. That's right. But in soup, 
Like, no, <laughs> I've st- done that so on many times. rice. Your no, dad like, is my hero. Stop it! Stop <laughs> it! Go home. <laughs> the best, the best of gourmet bogan gourmet, right there. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, scientists have achieved some amazing things. Imagine if it was all used for the benefit of mankind instead of being weaponized by the military. Mm. So true. The American states, the North was Protestant and the South was under Catholic control. This is an interesting point that um, has been raised right here because a lot of people would go, no, that's not the case. Um, I'm going to finish this text and I'm going to come back and comment on this. The North fought for the freedom of the slaves. The South fought, for, South fought for the right to keep the slaves. Looks like it's back to the good old days, divide and conquer. But that now it doesn't matter if it's North or South. It's a, if it's a fight of state by state. Mm-hmm. I smell Jesuit. So this is interesting. When you look at the history of the Civil War, and this is something that a lot of people are unaware of because it's history that has been very, very studiously hidden over, mm-hmm. is that... When the Civil War started and the American states divided North and South, the, the Vatican recognised the South, uh-huh. not the North, and as being the United States. Also, wasn't one of the biggest issues within the Civil War not just uh, slavery, but also individual state rights? State rights, yes. That's which, what it was fought over. Which was something that the Vatican very much wanted America to go in the direction of so that it would become European-esque, you know. Because, like, in Europe, you've got a bunch of small countries that are all have their own rights and, you know, individuals and whatnot. Um, and I, 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 from from my, like, looking and thinking about the Civil War, like, it was very much in the Vatican's interest to for individual state rights to be implemented in the United States so that they could have more of a presence because the government at the time was very much blocking the influence of the Vatican in the United States. Except that the Vatican recognised the South uh-huh. as the United States, not the North. Uh-huh. And the and it was the North that was fighting in favour of... Well, yeah, well, yeah, okay, no, it wasn't the South that was fighting in favour of state state rights. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's interesting. It was a much bigger picture there too because the whole political landscape was heavily involved with Mexico, which was Roman Catholic. Mm. And it was an effort to Catholicize. They saw an opportunity to form an alliance and Catholicize uh, the South and thereby to Catholicize the American government. Mm. And so, yeah, you've got letters from the Pope to uh, Mr. President Mm. Jefferson Davis. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) That's funny. Jefferson Davis, President of the United States or the Confederated States. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Ah, okay. Interesting. And it's interesting when the... um, when uh, Kennedy was assassinated, of course, that the uh, assassination, the assassinators, the whole team of assassinators were devout Roman Catholics and the one survivor of that team fled to the United States about, and was, sorry, fled to the Vatican and was captured in the Vatican. Are you talking about Abraham Lincoln? So who did I say? You said Kennedy. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln. I was, I was Abraham like, that's Lincoln. a little bit later, Lyle. Oh, I can, <laughs> but I can, also I can, Kennedy as well. Let's get started on Kennedy. You want to put on a conspiracy oh, theory? <laughs> no, but this is actual history. No, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I, I've you, heard this you, as well. You look it up yep. and, and read it. The, mm-hmm. um, the assassinator was captured being hidden in the Vatican and there were several attempts while he was being extradited to the United States to break him out of US custody mm-hmm. by the Vatican. Wow. Ooh. So. <laughs> and, you know, the end of that text message did mention the Jesuits. Uh-huh. And, of course, the Jesuits had 
vowed before before Lincoln became president to take his life. Yes, because he defended a priest by the name of uh, he was a lawyer. He defended a priest by the name of Charles Chinnicky. And I've Charles, read his book. Yeah, Charles Chinnicky uh, wrote a book that was seen as being outlandish conspiracy mm-hmm. until the modern era, mm-hmm. when we suddenly had a whole bunch of royal commissions and grand juries and so forth around the world, investigations all over the place, and now the whole world knows that what Charles Chinnicky was writing was absolute fact. Mm-hmm. Because he exposed the uh, sexual corruption of the Roman Catholic Church, yeah, and how that the confessional and the uh, doctrine of celibacy worked hand in hand mm-hmm. to create massive sexual corruption in the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and those are two issues that the Catholic Church has yet to address. Mm-hmm. They sort of paint some pretty good pictures and say we're doing lots of things and we're having, you know, we're having a big crackdown and we're trying to solve all of these problems. We're making public apologies. They're never going to solve it until they solve That's right. the confessional and the celibacy of the priesthood. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. And Pope Francis has the power to do it. Mm-hmm. He could do it today if he wanted to mm-hmm. because he has that kind of power. Anyway. Interesting. Interesting. Somebody's been doing some serious history here. This is history that the average person doesn't actually know, so... It's interesting to see it come through on a text message. Mm. Uh, but it is history that's you know readily available. You can look it all up on Wikipedia. I mean, if you can find it on Wikipedia, then it's pretty it's mainstream. It's there, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pretty mainstream. <laughs> yeah. Okay, pornography. It's one of Satan's ways to make the world as it was in the days of Noah and mm. Lot. It's working because the Bible says just that, and that is one of the reasons that governments don't want or are not able to stop it. Uh, pornography is deadly physically, mentally, and spiritually. And I would just simply add to that, as I've stated before, that those who have the power to bring an end to pornography are the users. Why mm. would they bring an end to it? Uh, that's just the simple reality of the world in which we live. Yeah, one more text message in just a moment. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Final text message says, The sins that called for vengeance on the antediluvian world exist today. The fear Mm. of God is banished from the hearts of men and his law is treated with indifference and contempt. Speaking about the antediluvian world, Genesis chapter 7. Let's get into it. We read about the creatures coming on by sevens. In fact, there was an interesting text message that came through yesterday because we were discussing, you know, what does it mean by sevens? Mm. Was there uh, three pairs plus one? which makes seven of a kind, or was there seven pairs? Mm. Some translations lean towards seven pairs, as your NLT does. Mm-hmm. Some translations are kind of neutral on it because they're like, I mm, really don't know. And other translations lead towards uh, three pairs plus one. Uh, the person texting through yesterday pointed out that the plus one was the sacrificial one to be sacrificed at the end. So you have three breeding pairs plus one to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting observation. Mm. Don't know that it, it, it makes sense. I can see the I can see the logic behind it. There's a lot of clean animals though that have never been animals of sacrifice, like deer yeah. and elk and so forth. Sure, antelopes. Yeah. Anyway, interesting. It's not something we're going to solve on this earth, but uh, it is something that we can wonder about and that we will have the answer for one day. It's not going to change the story in any way, shape, or form. All right, let's continue on here. The Bible says, just to pick it up in verse 5. Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him, 
And? In verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the flood covered the earth. He went on board at the boat and escaped the flood. He and his wife and his sons and their wives uh, with them were all various kinds of animals, those approved for eating and for sacrifice and those that were not, along with all the birds and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. They entered the boat in pairs, male and female, just as God commanded Noah. After seven days, the waters of the flood came and covered the earth. When Noah was 600 years old on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth and rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so this is pretty full on right here. Mm. You've got the flood going for 40 days and 40 nights right here. That's a little bit over a month. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly a lot of water you've got, obviously. It's interesting how it begins because it doesn't begin with rain. Typically, you know, when we think about the flood, we think about the flood beginning with rain. It doesn't begin with rain. Mm. It begins with the surface of the earth being broken up and water coming from underneath the earth. Mm. And that would have been a very dramatic experience. What's also interesting here is that you've got all of these animals coming onto the ark. And uh, just want to go back to this. The Bible says... Of clean beasts and beasts that are not clean. This is verse eight. And of birds of every the creeping thing on the earth, they went. They went into and to unto Noah into the ark, the male and female, as God commanded Noah. The Bible here talks about those animals going onto the ark to Noah. So often in children's stories and so forth, you have these pictures of Noah and his family going out and collecting animals for all over, from all over the world. Mm. That's not actually what the Bible says here. No, nah, they're just sitting in there. And The Bible says they went else. unto Noah. In mm. other words, Noah was on the ark and the animals came to him mm. in pairs or in sevens. Now, the thought that crosses my mind is this. Okay, let's say that you're an antediluvian and Noah starts preaching and you're like, you know, this is a pretty wild conspiracy theory. It would sound wild mm. because it goes against all the laws of nature. And, you know, these men were brilliant scientists. They would have understand the laws of nature, understood the laws of nature. They would have understood them very well. They would have seen the consistency of them. Um, if they believed in uniformitarianism, which is, you know, very heavily believed in today, they would say those laws of nature will not change and it's impossible to flood this world. Mm. You would look at our world today and you would say it's impossible to flood this world. Everest is a long way up. That's. 29,000 feet or something rather yeah, high in this sky. Something wild. Something wild, wild like, like that. Almost it's 10 a, kilometers, it's a long, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a long way up there. And so is it possible to flood Mount Everest? And we would look at the uh, laws of uniformitarianism. We would look at the speed at which, you know, Teutonic plates are, you know, either moving together or moving apart. And we would say, no, that's an impossible thing to take place, uh, especially in a short space of time like 40 days and 40 nights. Mm. However, this is one of the failures of the law of uniformitarianism is that everything doesn't always continue as it was from the beginning. Mm. And scientists who adopt that as a foundational principle limit themselves and limit the scope of their thinking and place themselves inside of a box that can be hard to get out of mm -hmm. because they limit themselves to, okay, we can only judge the world on what we can see right now mm. without considering possible alternatives in a very different world. The fact is that they come up with so many things that clash with what they see right now that they actually are forced to look outside of the box and come up with alternatives anyway. Mm -hmm. And so in practice, it's not a principle that actually works. But if you're an antediluvian, it would be easy to see Noah's statement as being 
pretty wild. Yeah. Conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. And to be very skeptical of it and to maybe, you know, not have anything to do with building the ark. I do suspect that there were signs of the times, mm-hmm. as we have right now. There wasn't just Noah preaching. I suspect that there was a whole bunch of things that were going on. You've got Methuselah, whose name means when he dies it will come. Mm-hmm. And Methuselah dies. It's the year of the flood. The 120 years is up. So Methuselah dies on time mm. with when Noah said that the flood would begin. You know, there'd be there'd be indications. But then what's interesting is you've got this period where the animals go onto the ark. Mm. Now, I don't know about you, but that would catch my attention. Yeah. Just watching, like, all of these animals just randomly walk in, in pairs. That would definitely catch my attention. Mm. That is something that does not fit the laws of uniformitarianism and is something that has never been observed before and it would immediately be like, you know what, I'm actually going to go and check this out. That would be something that would, you know, if you checked it out and you saw day after day, you know, animals entering the ark, this is a very powerful argument. Mm. And you think, well, you know, there's a lot of food on that ark. I could, I could, I could survive there. Maybe I'll... Maybe I hedge my bets both ways and let me go and spend a month on that ark with those animals and just see what happens. Mm. What can it hurt? But not a single solitary one did. And so you've got the dumb animals that go onto the ark while the master race stays on the outside. And the question is why? Why why wasn't there a single one that sort of went, wait, what? Maybe I'll just... Take the chances and yeah, see what, what happens. What, what happens if I get on and then it doesn't rain and then I just get off? Not a single one went on. And so there are a whole slew of lessons here because you can guarantee that there were a whole bunch that thought about it. Mm. There's something here about groupthink. Mm. And groupthink in our world is very powerful and it's very dangerous and uh, we see it being, you know, the manipula- the, the media manipulates it all the time. So group think uh, is if everybody thinks the same thing, then that thing must be right. Mm. And so we don't like to be different from everybody else. And so we can look at, at our world and, you know, the media will tell you, well, everybody believes that gender is a social construct. Mm. Whereas you actually do a survey and, yeah, not so much. Mm. Um. But the media will tell you that. The media will tell you if you don't believe that, then you're, you know, phobic. Some kind of phobia they will label you with. Nobody likes to have a, a label attached to their name. Mm. You will face bullying and ridicule. And you can guarantee that the antediluvians, anyone who thought about going on the ark, would have faced exactly the same thing. Mm. Bullying and ridicule. Why do you want to be different? Why are you know just ignore it? It's fine. It will go away. Nothing has ever changed. It's all alarmism. You're just becoming a bunch of preppers. You know the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Mm. But there comes a point when the supernatural steps in, and when the supernatural steps in, it's time to do something. It's mm. time to make a decision. And I understand that there are a lot of people in our world right now that are skeptical about the Bible. They are skeptical about Bible prophecy. They are skeptical about Jesus. And I just want to say, when the supernatural kicks in and you start to see the supernatural taking place, act Mm. fast, instantly. Don't look back. 
Mm-hmm. Bible says when you see it happen, don't even go back in your, into your house to get your coat. Just run. You know, you see that kind of thing on movies sometimes, and it's like just run mm-hmm. because of the the real and present danger. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that you've got being communicated here in the Bible. That's the time in which we're going to face. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. This is the Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. Time for our 500 point question for our quiz. What king, the son of Solomon, threatened to place his subjects under a heavy yoke and cause many of the tribes of Israel to rebel? Whose son, which which one, which son of Solomon did that? Uh, the prize, if you know the answer, Growing in Jesus, Volume 1, Becoming More Like Jesus by Studying His Life by Mark uh, Finley. And you can get this book for free. We'll give it to you if you know the answer to uh, our 500-point question, which again was, what king, son of Solomon, threatened to place his subjects under a heavy yoke and cause many of the tribes of Israel to rebel? 0491-064-669. All right, let's get back to our Bible passage. Let's mm-hmm. have a bit of a read here, Lawson. Uh, where did we get up to? We read, I think, verse 12. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're up to wait, verse wait, 13. Yeah, let's read verse 13. Let's finish up the chapter. That very day, Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with birds of every kind. Two by two, they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and a female of each kind entered, just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. For 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper and covering the ground and lifting up the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. All the living things on earth died, birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people. Everything that breathed and lived on dry land died. God wiped out every living thing on the earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and birds in the sky. All were destroyed, and the only people who survived were Noah and those with him in the boat, and the floodwaters covered the earth for 150 days. And it's interesting here because the Bible talks about the water rising, mm-hmm. and as it rises, of course, you know, it, it's it's covering the ground, and... Uh, it you know as it covers the ground, things are being destroyed. Uh, wildlife is being destroyed. Vegetation is being destroyed, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an interesting series of questions that uh, one of our listeners, Chris, sent through in relationship to this yesterday. And so, it what the Bible doesn't say is that the flood was there on the first day of the flood, and that it disappeared a year later. Mm-hmm. You've got a process here, and Dr. Taz Walker's created an interesting model on this one, uh, four different stages of the flood coming in, four different stages of the flood going out, mm-hmm. and what each one of those different stages would have, in the environment that each one of those different stages would have created. But you've got 40 days it's raining, and the flood is increasing on the earth. Uh, there's some other things that fascinate me too here, because the Bible talks about the uh, mountains being covered to the height of seven metres, seven and a half metres thereabouts, mm. which is... You know, relatively shallow. You know, that's not exactly the Mariana Trench that mm. we're talking about. 
but enough to destroy your life. Nobody's going to survive that. You can't tread water for long enough to be able to survive, you know, that kind of yeah, upheaval. Yeah, crazy. But it also shows me that they were actually keeping track of this. Mm. You know, at some particular point, somebody at the very least threw a, uh, a, a weighted line over the side just to see how deep the water was. Mm. And it's kind of like, well, there must have been times of calm when they were able to actually, you know, look out of the ark and see what was going on and just check what was going on. And it's like, well, is there any land down there? Let's throw something down. Yep, there's land down there. It's mm. actually not that far underneath of us. And you kind of wonder how much the ark itself was drawing because, you know, it's a big ship. Mm. I, I don't know how much a ship of that size would actually draw. Mm. That, you know, at seven metres, is it going to be actually running aground? Mm. Ah, let me see here. Let's uh, see what else have we got here. The Bible says that all flesh died. And this is another interesting question that was raised, and I think I might run this one past Dr. John Ashton, is what did this actually do to the climate? Yeah, sure. Okay, so here's the the situation. You've got no vegetation. Mm. So you've got nothing to deal with CO2, right? Yes, but we don't also we also So you've got massive amounts of CO two being released into the atmosphere uh-huh. from rotting of vegetation. You've got massive amounts of methane being released into the atmosphere from rotting red vegetation. Uh-huh. Where have you got the green leaves to deal with that and to counteract that? Well, I think that like you're looking at a you're looking at a uh, a world in which there wouldn't have been much CO two before the flood, like very minuscule amounts, Maybe. and with a very little population. Um, that being Maybe. said, as you're saying, there would have been lots of vegetation, or that vegetation would have been dying. But I feel as though, yeah, it's yeah. an interesting one. It fascinates me. That that was a question that came through. I'm like, hmm, I really don't know the answer to that one. Maybe uh, I did some speculating on it, but oh, okay. probably not okay. good speculating. Yeah, well, because we can we can speculate it like how I'm speculating right now is in the naturalistic sense, right? Saying sure. like, oh, yeah. you know, yep. Well, if you think about how much vegetation there was and the the amount of people that lived and the amount of animals that would have lived, like you know, kind of calculating it that way. But then also, if we put this into the realm of the supernatural, then I guess it's not really a problem. Yeah, and 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 the other well, this is true. You can go to the area, the realm of the supernatural, but it's also nice to be able to come up with a naturalistic model that, sure. that, that would explain how that this would take place because God does deal with naturalistic principles. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. And to you know to look at it from that perspective, I think would be really interesting journey. Mm-hmm. What happened to the atmosphere? Because I mean, we do know this that you've got an ice age that takes place mm-hmm. after the flood, and that the ice was you know covering a very large portion of the Earth. What was the atmospheric conditions that caused that? You've got massive amount of volcanic activity that's going to take mm. place through the crowd. You've got a ring of fire just going off. Mm-hmm. In the Bible says the fountains of the deep were broken up. You don't have the surface of the earth being broken up without a lot of volcanic activity taking place. Sure. So that would create a lot of ash in the atmosphere. Um, and so somebody's texting through the flood was, you know, seven meters from the top of the highest mountain. How high was the highest mountain then? Well, of course, you know, you've got your continents being pushed up during the flood. You've got your mountain ranges being pushed up. We don't know. Mm. Were there mountains just as high as Everest that were actually pushed down? 
Yeah, sure. we don't know. All we know is that it went seven meters higher than the highest point at that particular point in time, and then land, you know, began to be pushed up around it and so forth, and uh, the water started to go off into the oceans that we have today, where you've got massive, massive amounts of water. Mm. Uh, the Bible says that the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. That's a decent amount of time. They're just chilling in the boat. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's continue on here. Uh, let's move into the next chapter. And uh, 8 verse 1. The Bible says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock with him on the boat. He sent the wind to blow them uh, to blow across the earth, and the floodwaters began to recede. Okay, so you've got some you've got some indications here that there were some pretty wild atmospheric conditions that were going on. You've got wind, you know, blowing over the water and the and and, and the floodwaters. You've got wind blowing over the surface of the earth, and you've got floodwaters receding. You've got mm-hmm. these two things happening at around about the same time, and uh, it indicates to me that yeah, the atmosphere was messed up. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it mentions the wind. I suspect that there was some crazy wind that was happening mm-hmm. as a result of what was happening in the atmosphere. Once again, we don't know. We just get these little snippets and they just sort of like they tempt us with information that we would love to have more detail on. Could potentially the wind be used to relocate Noah when the floodwaters oh, receive? Oh, most definitely. Like, is that like why God sent it and put it in place? There's no question that would have mm-hmm. been the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't have a, uh, a ship of that size that is unpowered, which is basically a raft, it's Uh going to drift. It's designed to drift. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We're going to move on with the show. We have uh, got a text message I'm going to sneak in here, but we've also got a question of the day and answers for the quiz. Mm. What is is your text message? Uh, My text message says, I hope you don't don't think you are... I hope people don't think you are saying the flood was only seven metres in height. You connected it to how much water Noah's Ark drew. Uh, no, what I'm saying with that is that at some point they found water that was only seven meters deep. Mm. Most of the time, it would have been very, very far kilometers, kilometers down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, let's have a look at some uh, answers for the quiz for 100 points. Nazareth, 200 points. Legion, 300 points. The Philistines, or Philistine, uh, 400 points. Stumbling. And for 500 points, the answer was Rehoboam. Uh, But right now it is time for... Question of the Day. All right, our question of the day is very much in regards to the Bible study that we've been doing. And Chris asks, what about the plants? They are the basis of all animal life, yet no mention of how the ecosystem can be restored. Yes, and this is a very good point because, you know, things eat plants and then things eat those things that eat plants, but plants is, that's that's the foundation right there. That's where it all starts from. And the Bible doesn't mention how the plants were restored. The Bible doesn't mention whether they were taken onto the ark or anything of the sort. Uh, obviously, there would have been a lot of grain and, you know, food plants that would have been taken onto the ark, but what about the rest of them? Now, I'm probably the wrong person to ask this question to. You would probably get a much more educated answer from one of our creation scientists who comes on the show regularly, and this is one that we might Uh, put to maybe Dr. John Ashton or otherwise to get his perspective on it. So let me just briefly share my perspective. This is what Mm. we know from floods that happen at a local level. We know that they create 
incredibly fertile environments. And the reason they create in very fertile environments is because they create you know, alluvial soil, which is often very rich, it's very soft, it's very easy to work. This is why farmers love to farm on a floodplain because of the fertile environment. They also bring a lot of plant matter down and spread it out over the mud that they also spread everywhere. And that plant matter rots and that plant matter creates a very fertile environment. And so floods in general, wherever you've got flowing water and you've got sediment building up, you get very, very fertile environments. And I would think that the flood would actually create the most unbelievably fertile environments because certainly we've got, you know, our coal seams, our gas seams, our oil reserves and so forth that have all resulted on buried plant and animal matter. But the vast majority of it would have floated rather than be buried. And so you look at the size of these reserves and it gives you an indication of, you know, just how much vegetation there was in the world. But then think about the majority of it that would have not been buried and what would have actually happened with that. Well, to begin with, the flood, you know, is described as a gradual process coming up over 40 days and 40 nights and then dominating the earth for 150 days. But there would have been time periods during that where you've got you know dry land appearing here, dry land appearing there. That becomes very clear when you get further on in the story and you've got the dove going out and finding an olive leaf. There was obviously dry land that was beginning to appear and to be repopulated very, very quickly by plants. Mm. And so um, you're going to have a very fertile environment because there's a lot of rotting vegetable and animal matter on the earth that is going to be ideal for plants to grow. And you've probably got some global warming that is taking place. You've got a warm atmosphere, warm, fertile, lots of water, regular rainfall. Plants are going to flourish and come back unbelievably quickly in that kind of environment. Uh, you're also going to look at, so, so plants are going to come back, you know, obviously from, you know, plants that have been flooded and pushed here, pushed there, and they get rerouted somewhere else. You're also going to have huge islands of log masses, log, log mats of floating material and of course we know that on uh, floating islands that plants will very quickly populate floating islands we've seen that in disaster areas from from uh, other places and so you would have had plants growing there even before the tops of the mountains start to show through Mm. um, or be pushed up and so before there's even dry land you would have had plants that would have been coming up in those log mats then you've got the fact that the least likely part of a plant to be buried are its seeds because they're the lightest. And so you can imagine while a lot of vegetation is being buried, there's also a lot of seeds that are floating on the surface of the water. And as the water goes down, of course, they are going to be planted, you know, in the most fertile kind of soil that you can imagine them being planted. And, you know, 150 days is not long for a seed to survive and to grow back. So there's a few thoughts on where the vegetation would have come back very, very quickly. Uh, on the earth and repopulated the earth very, very rapidly. It's a breakfast show here on Faith mm-hmm. of M and a couple of late text messages sneaking through here. This one says, The same God that brought the flood could make vegetation grow in a day if that what he wanted. After all, on the third day of creation, he spoke and covered the land with herbs of the field and fruit-bearing trees. That's absolutely true. It's a fact. Mm. I think it's important for us who believe in creation to have naturalistic explanations because totally. uh, we are often accused of, well, when you can't explain something in science, you just go straight to miracles. Well, I'd make that accusation in reverse to the evolutionists because when you can't, ex- <laughs> when you can't explain something in science, you just go to deep time. <laughs> Which yeah. is a miracle. 
which are absolutely a miracle. Um, and it's the excuse that they will always go to whenever they can't explain. Mm-hmm. Oh, deep time explains everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they're, you know, we should look at naturalistic ones as well. Then we've got this one here that uh, a fairly long one talks about uh, gender ideologies and so forth and how everybody who you know disagrees with the mainstream uh, is called phobic, but raises the question, you know, why not, why not legalise, you know, a brother marrying a sister? Mm. It's all about love. Why make? Why, why is that illegal? Mm. You know, if everything else is legal, then you know. And I think it's a valid point. You mm. know, why why did they legalize so many other things before they legalized incest or legalized, uh, say, for instance, um, polyamorous relationships? You yeah, know, that kind of thing. Mm. Those are still illegal. Mm. And you could actually build a better case for them if you wanted to. Mm. It's pretty bizarre stuff, but it's a bizarre world in which we live. Mm-hmm. Anyway, those are our text messages. That last one coming through from Kim. Very good message. Very point point well made. Don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith. You will grow strong in Jesus Christ. For being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.